0: Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. We have a treat today. With us is Don Kenya. Don and I uh, have worked together for years, probably a decade or more, Uh, Don was uh, with Vico before he left and joined FEI as CEO. When he was CEO of FEI, he stepped into an organization with a stock price of $19.38 and revenue under $400,000. That was in two thousand six. Uh, ten years later, when the company was sold, the stock price was at one hundred and seven dollars and fifty cents, and revenue was over a billion dollars. So, from nineteen thirty eight to one hundred and seven fifty, from under four hundred of revenue to over one billion, uh, Don did a tremendous job with uh, with FEI, and he and I worked together for that period of time. So, I have. Uh, both a really nice friendship with with Don, uh, as well as have learned a tremendous amount from his leadership. Don, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Hi, Peter.
1: It's good to be here.
0: So, Don, let's jump in with um, sort of what you found was most instrumental in helping you move the organization the way you did. There's obviously a lot of things that you did. I want to focus on both what seemed to have made the most difference and and also the people element to it which I think is you know the, the team that you had and what you did with the team which I think in our conversations was an important element. Yeah, so I you know I think it was two big elements for I me mean, to take a step back. One is what the company was doing. The strategy of
1: the company was flawed and and I don't think that's going to – let's not spend a lot of time on that today. But I think the other major piece is then to get the job done and to evolve the strategy, you need a team of people and a team of leaders, more importantly, that can, can execute on that and do it in a way that matches the values that you want to have in your company. And that's, I think, a real important point for – people that lead organizations in particular for CEOs that how you want this done uh, particularly reflecting the values that you want the organization to adopt or buy into is absolutely critical to getting the job done that you need that your organization is tasked with doing
0: Great. So, why don't let's let's define this as a story and be really specific about it. What did you find when you stepped into the role? You know, and you had enough time to figure out what your team was looking like and 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 what the issues that you were facing were. A little background: the the,
1: the organization had suffered from a lot of uh, strategy changes, and that ended up manifesting itself in the organization with lots of passive aggressive kind of behaviors, where you know. Particularly in the rank and file. If I keep my head down and I do the best job that I can, ah, the strategy will change and whatever, but I'm going to
0: try to do my best. And uh, was it a to, sense of like, I'm just going to wait this strategy change out because another yeah, one will come and maybe new I'll get on that bandwagon? Week.
1: And so, you know,
0: so why bother?
1: Right. So I'll just do the best that I can. Um, and, you know, it could create some pernicious behaviors too, where there was a little self serving activity going on. But at the end of the day, I think we had a good group of people, but. Those that that behavior from management uh, elicited the behavior from the rank and file. That was one. I think on the management team, there was definitely some weakness with just technical capabilities and certain rivalries and failure to cooperate across international borders within the company, across organizations within the company. So no full alignment, a variable strategy, passive aggressive behaviors. And at the end of the day, some of the members of the management team were just weak. and. So there was a fixer-upper here to, and required some work.
0: How long did it take you to figure that out, right? You're stepping into the role. You don't really know anybody yet. How long did it take you to, to see what you're describing? Yeah,
1: uh, it, you know, A lot of this comes pretty quick. I, I remember I committed to the organization when I came in that after 30 days – you know, I'd have like the, you know, the classic 90 day plan widget right? But after 30 days, I get up in front of everybody and tell them what I saw. I kind of give them an update and I'll never forget. I put passive aggressive behavior on there. You certainly can't put explicit things about the management team, but strategy that we need to align the organization with the strategy and that we need to get our behaviors uh, in such a way that we align with the strategy one and work together as a team. And I think that was, you know, a, kind of news to the organization that rather than have any kind of individual uh, culture, we wanted a culture, I wanted a culture, I guess, to be clear, that was about teamwork. Because to get things done, it's a lot of people coordinating on a lot of things. And so we took a very biased view towards the organization that would be a teamwork-oriented culture. And a teamwork-oriented reward system to go with it.
0: So you just did something in this conversation that I think you do really well, and that I want to point out, and and sort of talk to you about how this played into the the change that you were making. And you said, "Look, what we want is you know a team," and and then you said, oh, "Hold on, I want that's what I want." And I'm curious about um the role of you stepping in and saying i am the leader and this is you know there there's like a role for democracy and there's a role for saying this is what's important and how i'm going to make things happen can you talk a little to that
1: yeah it's it there's a you can tell there's a little battle in the head on this one right because if you choose a team oriented culture right even as a CEO, you're a member of the team, the management team in particular. But at the end of the day, you're also the CEO and the CEO has last call on decisions. And so that was a, a weapon that I used infrequently. I'm the CEO. We're going to do what I want. It happened in a couple of M&A instances. It happened in setting some of the value frameworks for the company, teamwork included, Uh, that, you know, I think you have to start somewhere with some of these things. And on some things, I'm just not a big believer that you should build a consensus around it because I, I always hate the least common denominator that comes out of that often. So let's just pick a, as the leader, you pick a few things, not everything, and then let that be a framework. And then I think you have to be open after that to listen to the nuances, to have it fit with what you're trying to get done and, and how your organization thinks and works, and particularly for us, a global organization where you had we had a big European content, a big Asian content, make sure that the things that you're outlining are your non-negotiables, are clear and understandable to them in, the, in their own cultural context. So simplicity is really important.
0: Yeah, and, and I, again, I want to underscore what I think you do and did very, very well, um, which is really making a distinction between signal and noise that there's yeah. a lot of noise in the system and and I think you were really brilliant at at saying here's here's what's important all this other stuff is not important and sometimes the stuff that was really important if a consensus wasn't being driven fast enough you had to step in and you chose to step Ooh. in and say here's what we're doing because this is important and I don't want to spend you know 6 years thinking about this um, and and I think that was you know I, I think that was very powerful. Um, how did you help people not see what you were doing as yet another change in strategy that they could sit out? I, I think
1: it was seen that way in the beginning. Um, you know, you, you, I think it's the you know classic change management kind of aspects to this is show success, uh, stay the course. You know, pick, explain, stay the course, repeat repeat and then repeat, but then, you know, show those successes, show we're doing this because of this. And then if, and then say, wow, we did this and this happened. And then, you know, I put out uh, another, you know, simple, things have to be simple for organizations that, you know, you're not allowed to change the strategy unless you have new information, substantive new information. And in the past, it was more whimsical. And I think we've all experienced that in our careers. But if you, if you kind of put that that barrier to change. Okay. You know, you, you woke up this morning and didn't like that strategy. Say, so no, can't do that. Sorry, you're stuck. But if you come back with, oh my goodness, we learned, we were a tech company. Technologically, we could or couldn't do something, or we learned something about the market that we didn't understand before or whatever, then we can have a discussion. And the, that I think that helped create a little bit of a barrier to the next levels being, even, you know, having some capriciousness in what they want to do as well. But repetition, 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 stay the course, feedback positively when it's there. Admit, hey, if it didn't work, fine. Now you have new information. We're going to try something different. But the only reason we're changing is because we learned something.
0: Right. So what kind of pushback did you end up getting? Let's move down the line a little bit in terms of, you know, so you come out and you say, this is what I'm seeing, passive-aggressive behavior. It's really important that we're a team, et cetera. What, What did you face then? I, I think just, you know, first was the skepticism, right? Um, and then,
1: you know, there was a process that you you and I went through is to work out some techniques to, to make it more real, to to explore how we can change the behavior, because that's certainly, you know, a, 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 an effort that requires time and consistency to, to, to show change. And then there's some people changes that had to happen because uh, there were members, particularly in – of the management team, the executive team that carried that (laughs) passive aggressive behavior a bit too far. Um, and, and I'll admit, I've moved too slowly on some of those points and we can maybe talk about some of that, but the idea of team change, which at the end of the day though, is the biggest message to the organization that, you know, the, there is real truth to, the commitment to change and where we're going. And those that don't buy into it uh, no longer are employed by the organization.
0: You know, I've often said, and I really believe that um, if you really want to change a culture, you have to do dramatic story worthy things that tell people that you're moving in this particular direction. And, 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 you know, firing senior level members of the management team is certainly a dramatic story worthy thing.
1: Yeah, that it reminds me of the, the I had an executive who was in charge of uh, all of the technology of the company. It was a tech company, right? So this, the, you know, in a way, held the golden keys of the future. Um, and he was passive aggressive to defiant in, in certain areas. And he had to go, but he was one of the longest tenured employees in a critical position. And as I Explained to the board. I'd made a decision to do this. They told me I shouldn't do it You know, I senior executives told me I can't do it. You can't do this. You can't do this and, and It slowed things down, but eventually I had to do it for oh so many reasons and You know the great learning there is well, you know, when you know, it's the right thing to do you're right You need to do it. You always do it too slowly because we're all human beings and we you know, it, it's it's hard to, to to make that call and At the end of the day, though, there was. I closed the loop with this particular executive actually a few years later, and he even admitted it was the right thing for him. It was the right thing for the company. And, you know, these things have a way of working out. And the message to the employee base was fantastic. And it really was clear that people understood. There's a new leadership. We're going a new direction. There's a commitment to make that happen. And any barrier, no matter how senior, how important or perceived to be critical to the future will be in the way of making that change happen.
0: You know, I I would argue that the more critical they are to the future, if they are a barrier, the more important it is that you deal with it. Right. Because it's, it's so counterintuitive. It's like, if you've got someone who you think is indispensable to the company and they're not showing up in the way that you need them to show up, it, they're super hard to let go of because they're critical to the future of the company. But it's also the message that you can get away with things if you want to get away with things and the message when you cha- turn them over is, is you know, the same but in reverse. But at the, at the end of the day, in, in, in this kind of transition because of the human
1: component is so difficult, the, it's never as bad as you think. And oftentimes it's never as good as you think either. You know, it's it, organizations are robust and, you know, people fill in the gaps. And I'm not a believer in superstar culture, including myself. So, you know, that also fit with the, the culture elements that we wanted to drive forward in the company.
0: How do you convey that that last statement in practice when, you know, ultimately, People in senior levels are often trying to show that they're really indispensable or they're trying to be indispensable or they're trying to show all of their value. And you're, you're you know, that last statement that you made that you're not into uh, sort of superstar cultures and that you're more focused on the organization. First of all, there's a lot of research to support that. On this podcast, David Ulrich and I were talking, and the research that he's done is that a well functioning organization has four times the impact of a group of talented stars. So in other words, if you had five talented stars in a mediocre organization, they would be much less effective than a stellar organization with more yeah. mediocre people. And and so how do you convey that when when you have senior leaders who often want to show how great they are? Yeah. I, you know, I think
1: part of the there's lots of aspects to this. One is the right people. And, and that's, we talked a little bit about that in terms of the, but then teaching trust to the organization that, you know, we're all in this together. Therefore we have to trust each other. And then you have to build up that trust so we can get the job done and then align the reward system with that kind of behavior. So we're all in the same boat on the class of reward system. You know, everybody is, and you know what, we'll all share in the win. Now, there's tiers to it, of course, right? But people with more responsibilities, you go up the pyramid or whatever. I'm like, okay, that's appropriate. But at the end of the day, you know, my MBO, my payouts were all tied to the same metrics as my entire management team. We're all tied to the same ones, and there was no, you know, you know, special for you or special for you or whatever. Nope, and we're all in this together, and we all need to make things happen, and. Then you make the the day-to-day operations or the the rhythm of the company support that. So when you have meetings, they all orient around getting things done, dealing with problems as a group, not you know no finger pointing because you know the other aspect of having a team that trusts each other. And when things aren't working and you know, somebody gets rejected and you move them out, um, that, that actually reinforces a lot of the team dynamic that, OK, you know, we're going to reinforce this behavior. We're going to keep this going forward. And then within the organization, you know, we all have problems. Management's job is to solve problems. Right. And there's, you know, pick the right ones, pick the important ones. And then it's all hands on deck. It's not about the failure of that individual, because if you're on the management team, you pass the test. Now we're dealing with the practicalities of running a complex global organization. Let's deal with the issues. Let's reallocate the resources that we have to get the job done that we all will be rewarded for. That's easy to say, maybe. It's hard to do. And you know, I was thinking more about this as, as we've talked, is that you know it requires a certain attitude on the leadership side to be a little selfless in this whole process, and that you know, you you kind of give up some power to get the benefit of working together and then if you think about it from a corporate strategic perspective you know I always like to say that you know where I want my executives spending their time is beating the competition not beating each other and if you can get that energy all focused on let's go you know win in the marketplace as opposed to you know a against B Wow that's you know to me that's harnessing the the effort in the right place because it's hard enough winning in business, much less, you know, dealing with internal don't want to do and I have no patience for it either. So, you know, that's sort of okay, I'm the CEO, you gotta deal with that part. I don't really care about, you know. You need to have a strong enough ego to know, I'm very competent, I can do this really well. Now let's make this organization go.
0: I have to say, I think your lack of patience has been a real no, but I, I actually honestly think it's been you know it was a real benefit to the organization because there's a certain point at which you just didn't suffer fools like you didn't you know you weren't willing to let things go uh, to a point where everyone gets frustrated with them. You're able to draw a line and move forward, and I think that's a very useful skill when you're trying to you know really grow a company aggressively. A, a couple of questions, Don. About first of all the incentives. If you if I can ask you this. Which is when you said everybody's, you know, everybody lives or dies by the success of the company. Were there distinctions between um, people's incentives if their particular function did well and the company didn't, or in the management team was everybody compensated in a way that you know the organization continues? to do well, everybody gets compensated. If the organization doesn't, even if your particular function did well, then you know, you're know you not making out while the rest of the organization doesn't. Yes. I, I, can you talk? That's,
1: that's an 80-20 description of it. We did have a component that was local, but at the end of the day, the, the funding pool for all the bonus programs, the stock programs, was all driven by the company's performance. and uh, within two thirds of your over of your comp was of your variable comp was based on global metrics for the company. And then there was an individual piece, but by the time you did the arithmetic, it was a relatively small piece of the puzzle. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're, if you look at the compensation as part of the incentive to be successful, and I didn't see that as the only, you know, thing again, if it, I told people, if you want to come to FEI and you're only interested in money, don't come. If you're interested in being well-rewarded in a successful organization and driving and doing great things in the marketplace and learning how to do stuff to win and learning how to build teams and working as a team member, then you should come to FEI.
0: Well, and you said it. It's so obvious when you say it, and yet it's so clearly – not the way most not not what you see in most organizations which is we're competing in the marketplace not with each other. And and I can't tell you how often I look at organizations and the focus of competing with each other seems to take precedence over the focus of collectively competing with them you know in the marketplace. And and not to say we did everything perfectly because you know there
1: were you know I stupidly created issues at points in time and and sensitivities came up when we started to talk about succession planning, you know, how to do succession planning and things like that. And uh, particularly for my position, which I've decided at the end of the day, it's a stupid idea for the CEO to be involved in succession planning for himself. That's a board responsibility. And a CEO may be a member of the board, but it's not the CEO's responsibility to do it. And you need to get that off your plate because it creates so much uh, political behavior that you just don't want it. So and, now
0: everybody's trying to, you know, be loved by Don in order to, and everybody
1: else too. Right. So this is a, this is crazy. Don't, you know, don't go there. And, and, uh, and well, that was a very liberating commentary. I learned from another executive friend of mine, you know, I, I was kind of anxious over this whole, because the board was pushing me, oh, you need to have a succession plan. Okay, good. Um, Duh, you know, then you started thinking about it and then I, I was struggling with that and I started thinking, you know, we could do, you know, lots of different things. And of course the consultants want to push all kinds of baloney on you that you shouldn't be, you know, and then somebody said to me, it's not your job, it's the board's job. And it was very liberating comment because I'm a board member and I can certainly offer opinions, but at the end of the day, the board needs to own succession at the, you know, at my level. Uh, certainly within my team, I own that part um, but that I also pushed down into the organization, too, because, you know, the other side learning in this whole thing is when you're building trust and you're building a team, promotion from within is such a powerful tool because people understand the cultural expectations explicitly because they've lived it. And so it's so much easier to do that than, as we've discovered, you know, bringing people from the outside into an organization that has a team culture can be difficult.
0: It was very hard. I mean, we it was a... Uh, yeah, it was a very, you know, there were a lot of missteps, which would have been very, very hard to predict. But because the culture at FEI was so collectively aligned as a leadership team of people who were fighting together for the team and for the best of of FEI, as opposed to, you know, their individual interests. It was my experience as we were working together it was very difficult to find people who could step into there and give up their egos in order to you know in order to really be part of that team everyone talks about it but when it actually comes down to it you know share your experience but my experience was it's it was very hard to find that it was
1: and but but having said that right if you think about it of the it varied, i think between 7 and 8 the senior management team over the years only two lasted from the very beginning and then of that, I think about half and half. Half came from the outside and half came from the inside over time. And so we were successful in bringing people in, but the failures, <laughs> I learned how to fail fast and pivot. I mean, I think
0: that's the point, right? Which is, you know, from the, the, the learning you made from the first time with that executive is, you know, it was, it, you were much faster at seeing when someone wasn't going to be able to work out and making that call. And, and then... I think the other comment to make, though, is
1: which, which came with the the teamwork culture was also the fairness, and you know we made you know we jointly made a mistake of someone agreeing to come and we hired somebody. We were always very respectful in, in any kind of separation, whether it was a long term employee or a short term employee. Um, but you know I don't think we ever completely cracked the nut of how to identify cultural fit via the interview process. Uh, I think that's people, especially again, executive level, are very polished. They, you know, they they understand the nuance. They're able to present themselves in such a way, but you know, that's probably future work uh, for someone who's employed.
0: <laughs> Don, this is such a pleasure. We we didn't get to the values piece, but I, you know, maybe what we can do is do a follow up. Let's see the comments that we get from the podcast, but we can do a follow up and uh, and and have a conversation if you're willing. Uh, about values because I think it's so critical and I think it's the kind of thing that most uh, organizations give lip service to and you really uh, worked hard to make it a critical piece of the, the work that, that you were doing. And, and I think that's a useful conversation. So maybe we could pick that up next time. I'd love to. Don Kenya is uh, our guest today. Um, again, he was the CEO of FEI, He brought the stock price from $19.38 to $107.50 when it was sold. Revenue went from under $400 uh, 400 million million to over a billion. Uh, A a very successful leadership venture. And uh, I'm, I'm so appreciative. Both of your friendship... And and of all of our work together and also of sh- coming on the Bregman Leadership Podcast. So thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Peter. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast. If you did, it would really help us if you subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. A common problem that I see in companies is a lot of busyness, a lot of hard work that fails to move the organization as a whole forward. That's the problem that we solve with our Big Arrow process. For more information about that or to access all of my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you, Claire Marshall, for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.